0: Welcome to episode 48 of Terminator 101, the James Cameron Terminator podcast. First and foremost, happy Judgment Day. Today is August 29th, 2019. In honor of this very special day for Terminator fans, I am so insanely happy to share with you this very cool and exclusive one-on-one with one of the three credited screenwriters of the upcoming Terminator Dark Fate, Billy Ray. This is something that for me has been almost a complete year in the making, because last September I reached out to Billy and said, would you like to come on the podcast? He almost instantaneously responded back to me by saying that he would be happy to, but that let's just wait until we're a little closer to the release of the film, which makes complete sense. Fast forward, Almost a year later, reached back out to him on Twitter, and here we are. Now, a couple things to keep in mind. This is, hands down, the shortest one-on-one that I have done for the podcast. And that is for a couple reasons. The first being, we had technical issues that set us back for recording almost a half hour. We had trouble connecting, and we had real trouble keeping that connection. Finally, we were able to remedy that The second thing is just who Billy is. He is a very active screenwriter and director in Hollywood. He has multiple projects that he's working on and his time is very, very valuable. So you'll notice that the questions are very rapid, but there is stuff in this that to my knowledge has never been revealed or talked about when it comes to Terminator Dark Fate. So in that regard. This is very exclusive. So I could keep rambling on, but let's not. Let's get right into this. After this quick sponsor, it's time for some one-on-one with Billy Ray. Now before we go any further, I just really quickly want to shout out my Patreon members over at patreon.com slash t101podcast. Lucas Grudzian, Engelbert Sebastian, Ruben Dobson, Danny Pirate, Ami Prasad, T-Bob Art, Marie Sperlick, Oliver Mercer, and Michael Wellen, thank you. For your patronage to Terminator 101, it means the world to me. I do not take it for granted, and you're all awesome, so thank you. Now, if you guys want to join that exclusive list, get extra content, benefits, early episodes, head over to patreon.com slash t101podcast. Alrighty, guys, so we are back, and we are being joined by Billy Ray, uh, one of the uh, screenwriters for Terminator Dark Fate, as well as a bunch of other films um, that uh, are, you know, really impressive. Like, he has a very impressive filmography, reached out to him about a year ago, and uh, asked him if he would love to come on the podcast, and he said he would be happy to, but to just wait until uh, Terminator Dark Fate was pretty much on the horizon and uh we're literally less than i think what three months away from the release of the film that's right yes i am so insanely excited for this um obviously we're not going to talk plot details because you can't and just because i don't even want to know anything about the plot um that's you know i think that's the perfect way to go into it so before we get into the terminator dark fate talk as much as we can um how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you. Perfect. Perfect. Um, are you in California? I'm in sunny Los Angeles.
0: Nice. Nice. Well, the reason I asked is because I had William Wisher on, uh, who's the, the co-writer of T2, and sure. uh, I think he actually lives in uh, Los Angeles as well. Have you uh, bumped into him? Do you know,
1: uh, Bill? I never met him. No. No? Ah, oh,
0: he was such a, he was a, a real treat to have on, and um, something that- going through your filmography, something that I noticed that I just wanted to bring up and see if anyone had like ever brought it up to you now that you are associated with the franchise. um, Really, this has sort of been something that I believe is, is part of your destiny because you worked on a film called Volcano, correct?
1: (laughs) Oh my God. You're bringing up the V word.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you but you worked on that film. You uh you 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 helped write that film. And in that same year, Dante's Peak came out. Yes. And Dante's Peak not only had Linda Hamilton in it, but it was also produced by Gail Ann Hurd and edited by Conrad Buff, all three of which were in the you know, or worked on the Terminator. So I really feel as though. You know the fact that you worked on one of those competing films, Terminator was something that was really always going to to uh, fall into your lap. Essentially, um,
1: it's a bit of well, a stretch. The less, said, the, the less said about Volcano, the better. Um, we <laughs> all have credits uh, that we're not that proud of, and we can certainly list that among mine.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, that that is definitely the last. We'll we'll talk about it. I just find that really fascinating that uh in that same year was something that uh well, later I, on
1: i will also tell you that the first studio movie that i ever set up as a writer in other words the first studio pitch of mine that was ever purchased the producer was Gayle Ann hurd really yep it was what a was movie that, that never got made um i pitched it on january 8th 1988 at 20th Century Fox, with Gail Hurd as the producer, believe it or not, it was a romantic comedy called "Kiss the Bride," and uh, Gail was the producer, and and uh, that was the the job that allowed me to to quit the job I was that was my day job um, and become a a full time writer.
0: Incredible, incredible! What like it, like are you allowed to talk about why it wasn't released or?
1: Oh, there! you know, back in those days, um, you know, studios would develop a lot of scripts um, and then just make a handful. Um, so it was just one of those that they developed and didn't make.
0: Huh. But have you stayed in contact with her? Like now that oh, yeah. you are. OK, uh,
1: I'm, I'm very much in touch with Gail and and uh, we do a lot of things politically together. Um, yes, I've been in touch with Gail ever since
0: incredible incredible so that's that's i mean there's another thing right there so do you like do you like looking back on your on your career do you do you kind of think that terminator was something you were always going to work on
1: i never thought that um i was always you know a a a big fan of terminator and an insane fan of terminator 2 um but it never occurred to me that I would have anything to do with the franchise. I, I never thought that was, you know, part of my destiny. I'm, I'm very glad that it was, but uh, no, I never thought that would happen until the day that it happened. Okay. Um, so
0: if you can, as best as you can like recollect, because I'm sure it's been a whirlwind, you know, this is uh, a huge franchise. And how did dark fate fall into your lap? Like, were you in touch with, Cameron, at all, or no,
1: no, the way that it worked was um, I had just come off of a, a TV series at Amazon called The Last Tycoon. And um, while I was working on The Last Tycoon, I knew that I'd be coming up for air in April of that year. And so I, I had said to my agents, you know, I'll be available to start working on a feature in April. And they said to me, okay, the best. Best assignment out there is a movie called Gemini Man. Um, I said, okay, great. Can you get that for me? They said, yes. So they did. So I, I started working on Gemini Man, uh, which was at a company called Skydance, also Paramount. And um, I worked on Gemini Man with the producers and with Skydance, and of course with the director, Ang Lee. And we got that movie Green Lit. And then the people from Skydance called me one day out of the blue and just said we have another project we'd like you to come aboard are you interested at all in the new terminator and you know i said yes within seconds and and um and that was that Uh, then it was uh boy, i guess that was probably october of that same year so probably october of 2017
0: and that okay so you came on board then and uh yeah because that That sounds about right. That's when I believe uh, uh, Miller and Cameron had done the, uh, the Hollywood reporter announcement um, pretty much right around that time. So, okay. So you come on board and uh, something that I recently going back through your Twitter account, uh, you, you, you had tweeted about this, that there was insane amount of discussion over whether or not this film should, fall in line with the other films and be rated R and that you were that you were super happy that that is the way that it went I am also incredibly happy that that's how it's turned
1: out it it just has to be I mean look the, the the way this worked there was a um there was a ton of sweat equity put in before I got there um in other words as I told you I uh I came aboard in October of 2017 well in January of 2017, so not a full nine months before I got there, there was a writer's room um, that Jim was in with Tim and the producers and a bunch of other writers, including a novelist. And, you know, they were breaking story before I even knew this movie existed. And then there was a draft that was generated uh, out of that room. And that's the draft that I was rewriting when I came aboard in October. Um, but uh, to circle back to your original question, I always thought this was an R-rated movie. I was always writing, uh, uh, writing R-rated language and certainly um, R-rated action. Uh, it never occurred to me that it would be anything else. And then there was a debate about it uh, because obviously if you make a movie PG-13, you open it up to to you know more commercial prosperity just because more people can see it. And there was a question for a brief moment about could we simultaneously release a PG-13 version and an R-rated version, Um, which no movie had ever done before. Uh, And then I I think that became sort of uh, impossible to actually execute. Um, And then the studio made the very wise decision to just go with the R.
0: Oh my gosh, I did not know that, that that you guys were contemplating two different like cuts of the film essentially right that was contemplated oh my gosh well let me just say well that's i mean definitely the, the the wise choice i think is to make it rated r because yes you do open it up to box office and 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 whatnot but i think that's something that you know those last two films especially genesis they just didn't feel like Terminator films, and I think a large part of that is because of the rating and the fact that you know they watered it down essentially. Um,
1: well, I, I did not see either of those movies, so I, I can't comment.
0: Okay, um, yeah, it, they're 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 really watered down. I mean, even Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines has an R rating, but you compare it to the first two, and it's just it also comes off as watered down. So I'm really looking forward to, um, obviously dark fate. And with the announcement that, you know, Miller announced at San Diego comic-con that this is going to be a, a hard R film. Um, that just makes me so happy. And something else that you had tweeted about that, uh, caught my attention was that you said that, uh, we were going to love Sarah Connor's, uh, first line. Yes. And, um, obviously you, you don't have to confirm or deny it. I'm just throwing it out here. This has been my whole kind of thing ever since I saw that initial tweet. Um, just, just, just thinking about it. It, it, to me, it makes sense that it would be um, the line that is actually had like, had, that has been put into a trailer already. Uh, it's I'll be back. And um How do you feel about being a writer? Was there a lot of discussions over how much fan service needs to be put into the script? Was there a a talk over certain lines that need to be included, certain phrases? Or was it just, you know, kind of do whatever you want to do and that's fine?
1: Um, Let me put it this way. Uh, There is an incredible fondness among the team making the movie for the Terminator community. And everybody who was involved in this was making it to honor that community um, for their loyalty to the franchise, for their love of Sarah. Um, So I was writing it with an eye towards that. Um, I know Tim is extremely mindful of that. Of course, Jim is. Uh, the producers always were so any tip of the cap that I could do in the script that would um that would service that uh, I was going to do and I was going to fight for
0: okay so is it safe to say that w- when you came on board because essentially you were uh polishing the script right that's that's really what your duty was to kind of look at what was done and then to kind of rework
1: it? Um, yes, to rework it. Absolutely.
0: Okay. So when you were reworking it, was there a lot of that already in there? And then you uh, added some of your little touches to it? Or did you add like a vast majority of uh, some of the key moments that once the film comes out will probably really stand out to, like you said, the Terminator fan community?
1: Um, I'll be totally honest with you. Once you come aboard a script to rewrite it, um, you put your ego in another room and you stop thinking in terms of, oh, this was in the script that preceded me. Oh no, this is my stuff. And it all sort of blends together. It all just becomes the script. And all you're trying to do is keep making it better every single day. And that means Sometimes it means changing what was not yours. Sometimes it means changing what was yours. But you are constantly looking at the material in a sort of a holistic way. Um, The script is the script. And it just doesn't matter who came up with what line. Um, You know, I'm sure there'll be stuff in there that's Jim's and stuff in there that's Tim's. Um, Stuff in there that's mine and stuff in there that became that came uh, to me from the original script. Uh, and at the at the end of the day, if you're a pro, you just don't care where it came from. All that matters is that we got to the best place.
0: Perfect. That that's that's an awesome answer. That's definitely because uh, something you. that is you know really uh, I, I don't know if I'd say worrisome to some, but it's definitely that old uh, saying that you know too many cooks in the kitchen. And when you look at uh, the, the like the overall credits on dark fate there's (laughs) five there's five credited people that came up with the story and there's three credited uh screenwriters one of which being you right so again the
1: way that worked is those five names that you see in the story credit they were in the room in january breaking the story okay then uh, a team of them david and and justin went off to write the draft. Whenever you see in writing credits that writers are linked by an ampersand instead of by the word and spelled out, it means they wrote as a team. So David and Justin wrote as a team. They wrote their draft. And then it was determined that I would come in behind them. And uh, and I was on the movie from October until today.
0: Okay. So you don't feel though, that it's something to be, uh, to like, to be worried about personally looking at it. I was thinking it's probably beneficial for something like this kind of film because you have people bouncing ideas back and forth and someone might shoot down an idea and say, I don't know if that's really a wise direction. We should take this versus a film that maybe has only two writers and, you are bouncing ideas back and forth and they just agree with each other. You know what I mean? Like having more
1: people, you know, when I think about um, some of the greatest movies ever made, you know, many of them just had one writer and, and what you get with that is a clarity of vision, a sort of a singularity of vision, which can be a great thing. Um, You know, Woody Allen um, wrote a lot of movies by himself that are great. And so did William Goldman and so did Alvin Sargent and so did Frank Pearson. Uh, certainly, Quentin Tarantino doesn't need a room um, to write a great script. He just goes off and does it by himself. sure. So sometimes when you get that singular vision, that's a great thing. Um, this was never designed to be that kind of thing. Uh, anytime you break a story in a room with five or six people, just by definition, you're you're looking for a different kind of writing experience. What I can tell you for sure is that by the time they went into production, every word in that script had been run through the computer of one writer, which was me. And the shooting script that they went off to make, um, that had gone through that process. By the time they went off to shoot, <clears throat> I think I had been on the movie. Oh God, I don't know. 10 months, 12 months. I, I forget what date they actually started shooting. Um, But I had written a zillion drafts and I felt very strongly, um, you know, that I could stand behind everything in that script. Then when you go to shoot, obviously, if you have a director like Tim, who is, you know, he's on the set in, you know, Spain or Budapest. I'm not. As things come up, as ideas, you know, explode, he's going to be there and he's going to do some writing, too. That's part of the process. You want that with a director. And then of course you've got Jim Cameron, who's the father of the franchise and certainly needs no tips on writing from me. Um, So yeah, he's going to be contributing pages too. So, you know, what you wound up with was some version of a script that was me, Tim and Jim. That was really how the shooting script worked.
0: Okay. So you, so, so you were never actually on the set to see how, It was going like you just like once you're done with it, you're you're kind of done with it for the for the time it
1: changes on on movie to movie. Um, you know, similarly on on Gemini Man, I wasn't on the set, Ang didn't need me on Captain Phillips, I wasn't on the set, Paul Greengrass didn't need me. Um, but there have certainly been movies where the director wanted me on set, and so I was on set. And is that is that
0: kind of do you like do you prefer that, or do you prefer to write it and then?
1: That's it. Um, It depends. You know, once you've directed a movie, and I've done that a couple times now, um, there's really nothing more boring in the world than being the writer on set. Because um, when you direct a movie, you are so stimulated. You have, you know, on an average day, two to three hundred people coming up to you and asking you questions. And you have to have an answer for everything. I mean, it's 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 so incredibly stimulating. And when you're the writer on set, you've basically done your job and you're sitting there waiting to see if something doesn't sound right or look right so that you can be helpful. Um, But it's really, really boring because usually you've done your job and there's nothing for you to do. Um, So I I don't love being on set if I'm the writer and not the director. That said, uh, had Tim wanted me there, I would have been there. Oh, of course.
0: Oh, absolutely. So not. the way
1: it worked is that Tim and I would communicate via email or text or, you know, phone over the weekends if there was some, you know, particular thing he wanted me to work on or, or, uh, some scene that he felt needed a tweak or, uh, you know, a- any kind of issues that would come up. If he needed the help, he knew I was here.
0: That's great to hear. That, like, that's, so I'm definitely, you know, hearing everything that you're saying. Um, it, it's definitely, I'm not saying that too many writers in the, in the writer's room is necessarily a bad thing. Cause you said that it was designed to sort of be um, something like that to have. multiple. Yeah. And I would also
1: argue if you look at how great breaking bad is, um, you know, that's a writer's room. That's yeah. a bunch of people sitting in a room breaking story for a couple months um, and then sort of parceling out, uh, scripts for episodes, and then it all sort of running through the computer of, of the one voice, which is Vince Gilligan. You know, that's a model that has worked in television forever. And every television show that you love worked that way, including The Sopranos and Mad Men and Stranger Things and, you know, The Wire and all of them, all those great shows, they all did it that way. Um, so I, I thought it made perfect sense to try to break a feature in that way and uh and i think the results are really good
0: great well plus it's also because um i believe during that time what like there was this has always been um especially for dark fate this has always been designed as they want to make a trilogy yes and And, that's what
1: they were doing in that room they were breaking three movies
0: okay exactly yes so they were really thinking of a, a, a a much bigger picture than even just one picture they were thinking right. and,
1: and there were several times um, during uh, during my work on the movie where I would pitch something and and uh, either Jim or Tim would say, "No, no, no, we can't do that because it, it would hurt something in movie two or it would hurt something in movie three. They were looking very big picture, um, and because I hadn't been in that room, I just wasn't privy to what it was they were doing
0: now if 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 this film is a success. And, and, and warrants those other two films, do you feel like you're going to come back for those?
1: I would certainly love to, sure.
0: It's There's gonna be a little done, like, tricky, in Writing.
1: Uh, it's a little tricky time-wise because uh, I'm gonna be uh, directing uh, a mini series um, from basically from September until April. So I can't imagine that I would be around, around to write Uh, the first draft of the next movie but if they needed me to come in behind that draft then sure i'd love to
0: awesome awesome and and what is just to kind of uh because you said that you're a fan of the first film but you're an even bigger fan of the second film yes what what was it for you that was most important to carry over besides the besides the r rating what was it that was most important to carry from terminator 2 negating three four and five and making Dark Fate, in your minds, and hopefully in everyone's minds once it comes out, the true continuation of T2.
1: Well, Sarah, um, I, I, it's very rare that I sit down at my computer and I, I enter a character name and then I kind of shiver. Like that doesn't happen very often. But the first time I sat down to write a line of dialogue for Sarah Connor, um, that happened where I thought, whoa, I, I just plugged myself into a piece of film history that was really profound. Um, you know, Terminator, I think, changed movies in a really significant way. Um, and Terminator 2 changed movies in an even more significant way. Um, those were both singular experiences. And, and not just technically, but emotionally, and, and the reason they're so profound emotionally is because of Sarah. Um, so I, I wanted to be a part of that.
0: That's, yes, yes. Oh, thank you. I, oh, I, I just have to say thank you because that is really what I think is being, you know, the, the, the focal point of everything for this film is the fact that Linda wanted to come back and um, to see that, you know, continuation of her saga because it's always really been her story yes John Connor is the Messiah figure but it's always been Sarah's like it always started with Sarah so no it's um, always
1: been Sarah and I I remember I went to um, I don't remember what stage this was on but it was somewhere uh, at some studio in LA they were screen testing um, other characters and Linda had flown into LA and in the in the months prior I had been getting reports about, hey, she's working out with a trainer and, oh, my God, she's going to be awesome. And and I was kind of seeing ideas for what her hair would look like and all that was really exciting. But I had never met her. And um, so I came to the stage while they were doing these screen tests and I got to meet Linda for the first time. And it was one of those deals where the second we met, we were – like gave each other this big hug because um, she appreciated the script and appreciated uh, – that I had cared so much about Sarah and I just appreciated her. I mean, she's just a big deal in in my film going life. And um, that was a real thrill. I I, I love Linda.
0: Yes, she is. She's uh, one of the few that I have not uh, had the pleasure of talking to just yet. She's, she's definitely on the bucket list. Um, (laughs) She, I mean, she's Sarah Connor. I mean, it's, she can literally never do anything otherwise and she'll just always have uh, that place at, you know, in film history. Um, and it's just, did you feel, did you feel more of a responsibility with Sarah or with Arnold? Because they're kind of really closely associated with the franchise. Who did you feel more of a responsibility towards?
1: Um, I, I wouldn't wait it one way or the other. The, they're both a big deal. Um, I certainly didn't want to screw up either. I wanted to honor both. Um, they have very different roles in those first two movies and very different roles in this one. Um, I wanted to give them great stuff to do and and great beats to play opposite one another and then with one another. Um, that was a huge, huge priority for me.
0: Okay. And what in terms of sorry for just the con- like like the nonstop questions, but I'm just
1: that's that's an interview. That's how it's supposed to go.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I'm just so like this film is definitely the most hyped film for me this year because it just is. It's Terminator is my favorite thing. So when it comes to Arnold, when it comes to him, and the fact that so far I am so happy with the marketing because he is really being kept like under wraps uh he hasn't said anything and like uh, i'm I'm pretty sure any kind of uh, trailer what what is it about arnold that you can say without giving too much away because it's being said that he's kind of the same but he's not the same and that has a lot of people speculating i mean it has me thinking oh my god did they actually go the route that i I think they should go and make him a human character, like is he going to be the prototype for the t eight hundred You don't have to answer that, but what <laughs> was it like like what was it in like that really is uh like something you can say about Arnold's character if you can say anything
1: um I really can't say anything without giving stuff away
0: okay uh can you say anything about Eddie Furlong because that's also something that recently has come out and has been like grabbing everyone's attention. Was he like, was he actually, um, a part of the script, like adult Edward Furlong, or is it what a lot of people are saying? It's going to be the, the, the the Jude Colley, I believe is his name, the actor who, who's going to be like sort of the, um, the young John Connor for like a couple scenes. Do you know?
1: uh sorry you're gonna have to ask me that one on november 2nd
0: okay oh man i'm so excited this is so this is so great um before i let you go because i know that you are very busy and um and whatnot um kind of going just back into your filmography one of your standout credits to me and the fact that when i found out that you were associated with dark fate i was like okay that's a solid writer is Captain Phillips. Thank you. Um, Captain Phillips is a damn near perfect film, in my <laughs> opinion. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, that film you received an Academy Award nomination for, right? I did. And rightfully so. But how, like, how is it adapting a book into a screenplay? Is it more difficult? Is it easier?
1: Well, uh, I would say it's, it's uh, a very, very different experience. Captain Phillips is a completely research driven movie. In other words, I had to spend a ton of time with Captain Phillips. I had to, you know, walk the deck of, of you know, the, uh, the equivalent of the Maersk, Alabama, that kind of cargo ship. Um, I had to go study what it was like um, inside one of those that came to save him. Um, had to learn what I could learn about Somali pirates. Um, it was a ton of conversation between me and Captain Phillips and his wife. Um, lots of face-to-face, just sort of getting to know them and, and how they operate. Um, all of that stuff goes into telling a true story. And I, I happen to love doing that kind of research. I, I approach it like a journalist would and and try to make sure that I get it right. Obviously, that's a very different experience than starting with a blank page which you do on an original screenplay um where you just are making up everything and it's also a different experience than coming aboard something like terminator where you have a script in front of you that you're rewriting um and you also have two movies uh in in t1 and t2 that are sort of the bible for uh, both the rules of the universe, what's possible and what's not possible, but also um, how these characters operate, how the tone operates. There, there are guidelines in there, implicit guidelines in there about just what a, what a Terminator movie is supposed to feel like. And um, that is both constricting because there are certain scenes that you just can't put in a Terminator movie. And it's also unbelievably liberating because you never have to wonder whether or not you're getting something right you just know if it feels like a terminator movie um and and if it's checking that box then then there's a flow to it and you stay in that flow
0: gotcha gotcha yeah it's yeah well i i just have to congratulate you again on 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 captain phillips because that is like i said a very very well written film and obviously well
1: listen you know i had a director named Paul Greengrass who absolutely brought his a game. And I had Tom Hanks in what I think is one of the most underrated performances of his career um, who certainly brought his a game and they made me look very, very good.
0: Yes. I 100% agree with that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That, that performance is stellar and you have, I mean, you have one hell of a year coming up because October is Gemini man. And then November is Dark Fate. Both of them are Skydance Productions.
1: So that's right. um, And then um, December is a movie called Richard Jewell that uh, Clint Eastwood just directed for Warner Brothers. Oh, and
0: oh, and oh, I didn't even know about that one. And you wrote, and you wrote that one. I did. Wow. Okay. Well, there you go. I mean, you're yeah, you're going to be. You're going to be, like, do you attend the, um, obviously, I, I, I would assume you attend the premieres and whatnot.
1: I actually won't be able to attend any of those three premieres because I'll be in Toronto uh, uh, making an, a miniseries.
0: Oh, okay. Are you, like, like, like like? does that upset you at some point or? No.
1: No, because no? I'm pretty excited about the miniseries I'm making. Okay. All right. It's, uh, it's an adaptation of uh, James Comey's book. And it's the the truth of what happened between Comey and Trump. Okay. Uh, okay.
0: Well, so yeah, you're focused much more on that, but, uh, either way it's, uh, one hell of a year for you. And I just have to say, thank you for, uh, bearing with this, uh, you know, not techn- <laughs> like, te- like technology going wrong. And
1: uh, I, I'm sure it's my fault. Um, as, as my 18 year old son could tell you, I'm pretty challenged with all this stuff. And, uh, I, I never, I, I never spoke into a podcast in this way.
0: Uh. Yeah, it is. It's a, uh, it's, it's a little different, but um, we worked it out. Usually I just blame Skynet. I say, damn Skynet and <laughs> move on from there. Um, so I cannot wait for this film to come out. And like, you know, like you said, no, come November 2nd, uh, I will definitely uh, let you know my thoughts and opinions Good. on it Uh I hope that it is the true third film. I really do. Um, Uh, You will not be disappointed. Perfect. Billy, thank you so much. Thanks, Eddie.